0: what would you like the power to do mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america NA, member fdsc i'm ben and you're listening to the sound logic podcast this is mike
1: each episode we discuss one of music's greatest albums from rolling stone magazine's
0: top 500 list brought to you by two guys with no credentials
1: and welcome back everyone Today, we are discussing album number 31 on Rolling Stone Magazine's Top 500 list, which is Bringing It All Back Home by Bob Dylan.
0: We're really excited to have my friend Thomas Bona here with us uh, this evening. We. We've struggled with Dylan, I guess, to put it mildly, and um, and Thomas is a, a listener of the podcast and has messaged us saying that sometimes we get Dylan maybe a little wrong or or at least uh, need to take a, a different angle. And so when we came up to our next Dylan album, I thought you know this would be a, bring, a good time to bring him in and, and to give us some of his perspective. Um, Thomas and I have an interesting connecting point. Uh, In 2006, I had to look back through our our records. Uh, In 2006, our mutual friend, John Kaufman Kennel, invited me to the League of Unrepentant Maniacal Baseball Escapists and Renegades, uh, a fantasy baseball league uh, with the acronym LUMBER. And in the process of doing so, I met this guy named Thomas, Uh, and discovered we had a mutual love and appreciation for music of all kinds of different sorts. Um, And somehow in that process of uh, talking about baseball and talking about um, our favorite teams and players, we got around to listening to music together. Um, Back in that era, uh, a decade and a half ago, there was something called Turntable FM, Turntable.FM, I guess. And uh, Thomas had started a space on that site called Collapsing Around Our Ears. Do I have that right? And mm-hmm. um, the premise of the site was interesting. You'd go in, create a user profile, and sort of play your favorite music tracks for your friends who are also sharing that room space. And if people liked your track, you'd get an upvote. And if they didn't, you'd get a downvote. I don't even remember what the, the upvotes and downvotes gave you. Um, but you were sort of like aiming,
2: aiming to please the crowd. Well, upvotes got you that the avatars of the people that upvoted you would be nodding positively. Right.
0: They were excited.
2: Downvotes, they they would look like passively. And if there were enough downvotes, your song would get stopped and skipped. Right. Oh, man. It was a great... (laughs) That's why... Now you understand why... Now you understand the why I had to create my own room because still people would would skip my music half the time, but at least it was half the time and not most of the time.
0: But we realized in that space that we um, resonated about a few things uh, music wise, appreciated some things. Um, one of our recent episodes we referenced um over the Rhine which is a, a, a musical group that we've appreciated for a long time together even yeah. some more obscure stuff like um crush moxie frubis moxie frubus moxie frubis a uh, uh, sort of obscure canadian band that we both have appreciated at at times <laughs> I'm, like, so, you know,
2: <laughs> I'm like i was gonna say I, that's the only canadian band i know that i would describe as obscure it's like i know Rush, bare naked ladies <laughs> um
0: yeah yeah the band (laughs) it seems fitting that after uh well oh and i should also say um we have known each other since 2006 what's that we're going on 13 14 years something like that of playing fantasy baseball together we've only actually seen each other one Hmm. time in person yeah and that was at a cubs game (laughs) while Uh um my wife and i were moving across the country from california to pennsylvania we stopped in chicago to see cubs game and um Thomas and his wife came over and, and enjoyed the game with us. Cool. Uh, so we've been together for maybe three hours of the in the past sixteen years that we've known each other. Um, uh, but many, many, emails many, exactly. yeah, many emails
2: and ba- ma- many g chats exactly many emails and many g chats about uh, fantasy baseball trades. <laughs> and I, by the way, I live in. Now like you say, I live in. Well, now I live in Goshen, Indiana, which is um, about two hours east of chicago previously at the time that i met ben in person um we lived in rockford illinois which was an hour and a half the other side of chicago so i grew up in bronx new york but i've been living in the midwest my whole adult life and let me tell you that's uh that's quite a quite a thing that's (laughs) self-sacrifice sure (laughs) i (laughs) I mean, I wanted to go to a small college and I wanted and I I like you, I I became I'm a Mennonite convert and I wanted to go to a religious school, but I didn't want to go to Eastern Mennonite, which is where Ben, was, ben had gone, uh, mainly because of a giant hill that the radio station was on, but also some <laughs> other factors like at the time I'm so old at the time they didn't have a communications program yet, but they were working on it. That was their pitch to me.
3: That's funny. So anyway,
2: I've been in the Midwest um, my whole adult life, and um, I'm married to a Cubs fan. I'm a Yankees fan. So Ben and I, we try to have a rivalry, but the the Jays and the Yankees are, have not been good at the same time true. ever, I think. <laughs> since, oh, no, since 85, right. 85, the first year I followed baseball really closely, I hated the Blue Jays because <laughs> they beat us in 85.
0: But yeah, Mike and I were too young to really even know what baseball was in, in 85, uh, three years old, I guess.
2: Um, hey, <laughs> thanks for
0: that. You've you also got some, uh, some family ties to Southern Ontario. Is that Do I have that right?
2: Yes. I'm, ado- I'm adopted and I was raised in New York City. My biological family is from what is now Serbia. And at the time they had me, my parents were kind of on the out. So they decided, my, my father was studying in New York. And they decided to put me up for adoption years later. And I, I won't get into the whole story, but I, I reconnected with them about eight years ago now, uh, eight or nine years ago. But they went back to then Yugoslavia. Um, they, I had an older brother. And then in the mid-90s, when let's just say stuff was happening there, uh, my, my father and brother emigrated to Canada. Uh, they went to Toronto. Um, my brother went to the, it uni- was it university of Toronto. I'm, I'm not making that up. That's actually a thing, right? Yes, it is. Yes. So he went there and then, um, he got a job in the tech industry at like two or three of the different, uh, um, uh, micro uh, processor companies like AMD and, um, what was the other one? Hmm. And now he's in, now he's in Austin, Texas, but his wife is from Elmira. Um, a good she- Mennonite area. Yes. Yeah, she, so when she learned I was Mennonite, she's like, oh, I know Mennonites. And we've only made like one Mennonite game connection so far, but I'm working on it. That's amazing. And then I realized where Ben was from, and I'm like, well, that's not, that's, that's, I mean, how far are you from? That's like an hour away, hour and a yeah, half? Right in there. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Hmm. I was like,
2: wow, Southern Ontario's big. Yes, it <laughs> is. Southern uh, Ontario's big. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then there's a whole northern half. right
1: <laughs> That's even bigger, <laughs> but there's nobody there.
2: <laughs> like exactly, Neil Young. Okay, so here tonight?
0: that was a good intro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
1: that was fun. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of and and,
2: and and I and I think Ben was getting there, but I I learned about the podcast. Oh, okay, here we go. When for um... <laughs> the podcast? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, welcome to the Style Logic podcast. Uh, This week it's three guys with no
3: credentials.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But I've been on sort of a musical. The last few years, I've realized I've had giant holes in my listening uh, history. And so I've been making a concerted effort to like go in these like grooves of certain artists or styles of music. So, like a few years ago, I did a big Beatles and Stones dive and kinks and all that kind of brit stuff and then i did like a early a, a kind of an early blues rock into heavy metal dive and i don't know what caused me to do it but earlier this year i did uh, marvin gay and i listened to what's going on for like the first time all the way through and i was like this is really good how did i not know that and Ben pops in like, well, on our podcast, which you should have known about because I posted about it. Why don't you ever read my post?
1: <laughs>
3: I don't remember he any He didn't
2: of this. say that explicitly, he, but you know, the subtext was there.
1: Read between the lines. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and he's like, told me about the podcast. I'm like, well, I'm going to have to listen to this. And so I started listening and really enjoyed it. And it was it was frustrating to be behind because early on, you guys were still figuring out you, right from the start, it's a good podcast, and I really love how your relationship is the guiding stream throughout. Mm-hmm. It's about your your history and then your own experiences with the music. I, I think that's great. Uh, mm-hmm. But you were trying to figure out the methodology of the Rolling Stone list <laughs> <Yes. laughs> and what that means for today, and... I'm, I'm sitting there going, I really want to respond, but it's probably, probably going to, and you figured it out over time and it's been really cool (laughs) to listen to, but early on, I'm like, no, that's not what they did. And, (laughs) and how I got roped into this episode was, you know, highway 61 revisited, which is my favorite Dylan album. Wow. Not my all time number six (laughs) album. It's, it's in the top 100 somewhere. I don't know, but it's a great album that I've loved for a while and you're making like, 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 you know, saying things like, "Well, maybe they put it on there because it has, it's where the the name of the publication <laughs> came from," and I'm like. Banging my head and like oh, no <laughs> So now I'm here making my podcast debut to talk about my fourth favorite Bob Dylan album. And hopefully put in as <laughs> Because no one else would defend no one else would defend right, the guy. And to hopefully you.
0: put in as many Highway 61 references as you can fit into an album that
2: <laughs> No, i spent way too much time on this album to talk about that one now. So they are connected, but yeah. we'll get to that.
1: Yeah. So Thomas, do, do you, what is your history with this album you said it's your fourth favorite so you know you're a big bob dylan fan you like the other albums um had you listened to it before kind of your your deep dive did you grow Mm. up with it or is something more new for you
2: no my whole experience with dylan so it's weird i would say as part of my deep dive into various musics various musics (laughs) uh keep that in i realized i never knew what to make of Dylan and the Beatles and these great artists that I've h- heard tons of their stuff. Um, with Dylan, it's always, he's just always been in the ether. Um, especially I think in New York, there is that kind of like, well, mm-hmm. Dylan's from here. Or he, he played here and, and all that kind of thing. And so I, I just heard a bunch of it over the years, um, but mostly through whatever was on the greatest hits. Um, I remember I remember When I was in high school, there was this Irish cafe in uh, the Bronx that did a weekly poetry reading at open mic. And it was around the time that Greatest Hits Volume 3 came out. And they would play it almost every week. And that was like Tangled Up in Blue um, and a few other later songs, Hurricane, things like that. And I Mm. really enjoyed that. Then I go to college and I I think everyone had Greatest Hits 1 and 2. You know, there were certain mm-hmm. albums everyone yeah. had, Joshua Tree, Bob Marley Legend, Indigo Girls self-titled, <laughs> Dylan. And, and so I think I just kind of like picked it up in the ether. Um, while in college, uh, through our mutual friend, John, I started doing stuff at the radio station. And as a student, you would do like the classical shift or the early morning, whatever, church shift or, or such but there was an evening block of programming at the time that was focused on folk music. And really the only way to like get to do anything fun was that or these student late night programs that like were just crazy. And I did some of those too, but I started like volunteering to do some of the folk music programming. And my original entryway was like all the unplugged albums. So, you know, REM unplugged, Nirvana unplugged, Um, always some things and like a few other artists. And I don't know, again, Dylan's just always there. I don't know that I ever said, Hey, I need to listen to a lot of Dylan. You just pick them up over time. So it really wasn't until earlier this year when I started listening to your podcast and before you hit highway 61, I, so, you know, you, you start, start off and it's like Beatles and I, I really had formed a strong opinion about the Beatles um, I had formed an opinion about Pet Sounds, um, and Highway 61. I had grown mm. to love over the previous few years. Um, it just became an album I kind of gravitated to because of the kind of rocky sound and really interesting lyrics. But I was like, okay, I need to start at the very beginning and at least work through. And I looked at the list. Let me at least work through. Um, oh, what was the other, blood, the, the third one? Blood on the tracks. Um, yeah, the one with tangled up in blue. Blood on the tracks. So oh, yeah. I, I, I over a couple of weeks just listened to all those albums and kind of hmm. formed some opinions. It was like, okay, I know, I yeah. know. In this case, I know much of this album. I know Subterranean Homesick Blues has like been one of my top two Dylan songs for as long as I've known it. Maggie's Farm, I know. Um, Mr. Obviously, Tambourine um, Mr. Tambourine Man. Um, mm-hmm. It's all over now, Baby Blue. Those are the songs I had already known, and then a couple of the other ones I think I had heard over time but just spending time with it and then going back in preparation for this episode to like, okay, where does that fit? How does that bridge the earlier stuff with highway 61 revisited and um, blonde on blonde. And and then I just read all this stuff and I'm just in this real binge now of 1965 was a crazy year. I I got a whole book from the library about it's called 1965, the year that revolutionized music. And Mm. You just look yeah. at, because of Vietnam and civil rights and the ad and, and the real advent of color TV. Um, and then you got, you know, this confluence of music and music, the, the book was saying that music had the ability to like really be immediate. People could record a song and get it out there very quickly and be topical and be responsive. Mm-hmm. So like 1965 is just this treasure trove that now I'm stuck in. And so like <laughs> month from now, I'm still going to be like reading about it and listening to stuff. And you guys will have moved on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there are other albums from 1965 on this list. I'm,
2: I'm sure we'll, we'll revisit from time to time. And, and, and I mean, Rolling Stone, of course, was, we'll get into it, but like there, there is an obvious bias towards. The, the mid late sixties and the seventies. Cause yeah. that's when yeah. the magazine formed. And I haven't looked at the list of voters extensively, but I'm sure anytime a magazine puts out a call for votes, their panel is going to skew toward what the magazine skews toward.
0: Right. Right.
2: And yep, so, for
0: I, sure
2: so there's just a lot of sixties stuff on there. That's like, wow, you really like the sixties, uh, Rolling Stone. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs>
0: One of the things that I did over the last uh, couple of weeks, I guess, was to try, I put together a spreadsheet um, with the two lists sort of parallel to each other so that you can see which albums stayed and where and when they dropped off. And um, it also has the year on there. And I'm counting, let me see here. It's over 100 albums from the 1960s that make up the just That decade on this list of 500. The first one was 2003, the second, the updated one is 2012.
2: Um, I mean, that's not out of sorts, then, if you think about it, because you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, aughts, and then yeah, that's five decades, so 100. Right. Now, again, there's the 60s, there's really... not too many
0: from the 50s, you're right, and but you're we're also dealing with, and we've talked about this a couple times, we're dealing with. Folks uh, who were who were voting who were primarily born, you know, in a time yeah. where they would have experienced the '60s as their formational music years too. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, this is not people born 1980 and later voting on this list. This is—I
2: don't think people born 1980 or later are eligible to vote. <laughs>
0: Maybe not. <laughs> I could, I
2: could be- <laughs> Feel I'm I'm I'm, an, I'm a late like a late exer, but feel free to just periodically say "Okay, boomer" at me. <laughs> you got it.
1: It's <laughs> uh, funny. No, um, that's good. <laughs> you're so relevant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you're
0: not bringing this podcast into this year, you're bringing it into the last five years at least. We really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: you know and that's obviously one of the reasons and also you you know we'd love your enthusiasm for uh Dylan and music in general it's great just to hear you talk about how what yeah. a big part of your life it is and that and that's really uh, one of the reasons that Ben and I started this is that yeah. it's something that we both really really enjoy and uh, this was also one of the reasons like you said you've you realized that there were holes in your in your listening experience and that was something that got me really excited about doing this project was like there are a lot of things that i haven't listened to bands i don't know genres i don't know very well and although this is limited in terms of genre there's a lot of stuff here that's new to me which is exciting Mm -hmm. um and dylan is one of those artists again that was very new to me um so uh Ben, I think you and I are in the same boat. Um, I hadn't listened to this album before, as I hadn't listened to any Dylan before we started this project. Are, are you in the same boat there?
0: Yeah, my only preconceived notion is that uh, same year as Highway 61, so I'm kind of bracing myself going into this, thinking, "Oh boy, I did not, <laughs> I did not feel super great about that album. Hopefully, it's not just round two of the exact
2: same thing." <laughs> but <laughs> well, having, <laughs> I,
0: I,
1: I was hopeful. Sorry, go ahead. You finish.
2: Well, no, it's, it, and because it, well, because it came in first, it's more like a prequel. Yes. and if Star Wars has nothing, prequels are always awesome. <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and I think I, I, knowing that Thomas likes Highway sixty one, I think every time we've had on a guest that's passionate about the album we're we're tackling, I think it provides new light for me. And so, even though I'm like kind of bracing myself for this, I'm also like, okay, I know I'm going to learn something in this conversation that's going to help me appreciate this music at a deeper level. So yeah, that's, that's my sort of entry point into the, into this album. I think it's time for some details.
2: Wait, there. wait, you don't play the sound effect live. <laughs> Shh, don't give it away. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was like, that is, like simultaneously, this is the most ridiculous use of a sound effect. <laughs> and I love the sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> like, Do it. Yeah. <laughs> Like, jump on that flag with mario
1: yeah so the, uh we're we're peeling back the veil of the crude underworld of uh podcasting you don't actually get to hear it live <laughs>
2: yeah i was listening to a podcast and like and the guest is like somebody makes it makes a, a the host makes a joke about like whoa callers are lighting up the phones and the guy's like wait are we live like, no we're not live <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: so this album was released March 22nd, 1965. Uh, as we mentioned, same year as Highway 61. And this album is Bob Dylan's fifth studio album. Uh, and part of a stretch of six albums in three years. We have talked many times that in the 60s, the music was coming out at a mm-hmm. incredible pace. And this is another great example of the artists were just pumping out a large volume music which is so it must have been so exciting to to be a music fan at that time Oh man you could be getting new albums all the time which is I i don't we could go down that trail for a while but anyways this is one another great example um everything on this album was written by dylan and it charted number six in the usa um and a note here the first of his albums to crack the billboard top 10 so a milestone for mr dylan and it went number one in the uk very popular in the uk Uh, certified platinum in the u.s uh guys remind me is that a million
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, i believe so yeah
1: and gold in the uk and i think gold i think that's less in the uk because of the population but um uh successful uh, nonetheless and uh, thomas you you have a few notes historical notes on the album for us yeah
2: and and just generally one thing I'm, i'm adding is i'm reminding myself you know dylan Came uh, during uh, sort of the the latter part of the of the folk revival that had been really raising in like kind of the 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 forties and fifties. And I learned I learned actually that what uh, what kind of brought the uh, folk revival in New York together in the forties was resurgent interest in square dancing and folk dancing. So. Oh. Uh, <clears throat> oh, wow! So that's what got like Pete Seeger and Lee Hayes and and those folks kind of more prominence, and um, later like the Weavers and and uh, Kingston Trio. And what kind of uh, slowed things down was the whole anti-communist scare uh, post World War II, and so it kind of sent the folk revival, the political side of the folk revival, into hiding opening up room for, like, again, Kingston Trio, Peter, Paul, Mary, mm. or later, obviously, but that style of music. Um, have either of you seen the movie Inside Lewin Davis? No. There's a Co- Coen Brothers movie from a few years ago That's that uh, stars uh, o- Oscar Isaac. Um, it's an amazing movie, but it's about that time, and the main character is loosely based on Dave Van Ronk, who was a New York folky that was kind of a mentor to Dylan and others? And Dylan, well, I don't think I'm giving a spoiler. Dylan makes a very, very ca- brief, like overheard appearance in a seminal sure. moment. But yeah, we have young
0: kids, so we don't watch movies anymore. Um, yeah, and I, like, I get that. My, my, my brother and like... We watch them like <laughs> ten years later when they show up on Netflix. So
2: <laughs> right, right, you're right. <laughs> netflix and try to stay away exactly yeah
1: (laughs) yes yes Uh uh-huh you
2: know a big figure in all that was woody guthrie and and he was basically the reason dylan came to new york and got into folk music instead of other stuff he just heard of woody guthrie and loved his music and um he came to new york and actually like guthrie was in the hospital kind of slowly dying with um Was it Crohn's disease? I forget what it was. No, Huntington's disorder. And um, so Dylan took up with like some of Guthrie's acolytes, and like you listen to Dylan's first album, self-titled. It's so Guthrie-esque. It's so on the nose. And so you have his first um, few albums, very strident, folky. This is where he got the moniker, you know, the voice of the generation. It was it was at the time where you know, a lot of stuff was heating up in terms of people's responses to things with civil rights. Um, Vietnam obviously really heated up in by 65, but like even before then, you know, issues with Vietnam and U S involvement or potential involvement. And so a lot, Dylan kind of picked up the mantle of Woody Guthrie and those like pre McCarthyism leftist folk singers. And, um, but he always had a bit of a rock interest from his youth. And uh, if there's anything we've learned about Dylan over the years, and I haven't read his chronicles yet, but I really want to. He has a very, um, uh, what's the word, um, rebellious spirit. And mm-hmm. basically just he kind of goes with what he was into at the time. That's that's how Dylan can have a Christian era and now a Frank Sinatra covers era. I okay. Right. <laughs> and so <laughs> by, by 65. <laughs> and so I said in the notes here, in a lot of ways, this is a transitional album because it still has some of that earnest Woody Guthrie acolyte, but he's also starting to play with rock for the first time. And a key moment for him was you all know the animals, uh, cover of house of the rising sun. Mm-hmm. That was actually dave Van wrong taught dylan it but you know dylan's arrangement set to a rock uh, more of a rock feel the animals were touring with chuck berry at the time and just wanted to like play something different and Mm. that came out in like 64 and supposedly dylan was so upset he got out of the car and started punching the bumper because he was like i (laughs) wanted to do that um interesting He's also already, and I. Everyone's heard about the '65 um, Newport, you know, Dylan goes electric controversy, which we can talk about later. But it's I like didn't realize,
0: show, yeah.
2: In '64, he got because his lyrics were changing from just straightforward, strident, folky to like more. There was some love stuff. There was weird stuff. He just he was. Hmm. And and he got called out by a prominent editor of Sing Out, which was like this big folk music publication. The editor was a big leftist. He went on to write for the Guardian and just was like a real leader in like the confluence of leftism in the fifties and sixties and folk music. Got called out for being like oh too caught up in fame and and whatever and losing (laughs) sight of things. There's that. And then finally you've got the Beatles coming to town and. He supposedly, when he first heard, I want to hold your hand, he was like, I love this. This is awesome. This is so different than the teeny boppers. Um, and then he, he also thought that the line in, I want to hold your hand. I, I can't hide. He was convinced it was, I get high. And oh, Dylan yeah. was in at the time. So he was convinced of that. I'm like, Oh, they're, they're talking about getting high. Well, in 64, <laughs> they met in the summer of 64 at a hotel in New York. and he, they were like, oh, you, you want to do some pills? And he's like, uh, no, I got some pot. And they're like, oh, we don't really do pot. And he's like, but you saying I Get High. And they're like, <laughs> no. And there are mixed stories about whether they had ever done pot. Probably Lennon, supposedly Lennon had done pot, had a bad experience because he was already drunk at the time. Imagine that. <laughs> and so you his know, pot puked, didn't like it, didn't do it again but they have this carousing night in the hotel. It, there's a lot about that you can read, about. it's really hilarious. But before then, and it's, it's, it's been mythologized. as like, that's when the Dylan and the Beatles met and they influenced each other, but it already been happening. Cause Dylan was hearing the Beatles, uh, come in and, um, you know, doing this, this cool rock sound yeah. and the Beatles, Lennon didn't like Dylan at the circus. He thought he was like this, like, like, elitist uh boring folky but uh mccartney and harrison were fans of, of his earlier stuff and so they started the beatles started doing more of the write your own songs like dylan gave them and a lot of people popular permission to write your own stuff instead of what had been in the folk scene it had been basically take an old song and rework it um you know house of the rising sun is a Old traditional song that has been changed over the years, and um, uh, there are other songs right. like that I can't think of right away. But
0: it's so interesting. I, I remember this rhetoric while while I was in seminary, where a lot of my call my colleagues and classmates would say, like, "I wish I had taken every other seminary course before I had taken the one I'm currently in." The, just this idea that like everything builds on everything, <laughs> and there's no way to yeah. actually take it all at the same time. Um and I feel right. like I feel like a lot of these right. uh prolific artists that have these wide-ranging careers kind of feel the same way. Like I I don't quite understand Dylan in a vacuum when I'm just handling one of his albums. He makes far more sense to me, you know, if I had consumed the entire spectrum of his career. <laughs> and um
2: but also if but also if you came from a different entry point. It, yeah, right. Fair, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, here's the thing about this list, and and I, I'll get to this now, and you can, Mike, you can cut it and move it to later in the episode or do your magic. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> remember, it, let's not get hung up on greatest or best. This is... Um, rolling stone did a project where they asked a bunch of people what do you think are the greatest albums but they didn't really define it it's like mike are you a baseball fan
1: uh i'm not nearly as into it as you guys are but but i do enjoy the sport of baseball yes
2: You could have just said yes. Um,
1: Well, I just, I just, I didn't want to say yes. Then you're like, well, what do you think about such and such? And say, well, I don't really know about that. Oh, you're not really a baseball. (laughs) I just wanted to prevent that from happening, but it looks like that's going to happen anyways.
2: No, no, no. But like you know, every year when they do the MVP voting, there's this constant debate about what's most valuable and exactly the criteria. And that's kind of the thing here. Is this isn't Rolling Stone. I mean, when, when magazines do, this is our greatest list of albums. It's they're clear. If it's editors chosen, it's like five, 10, 20 people here. It was a bigger group, but it's not authoritative. It's just a perspective. Yeah. And I I would say for you and for myself, because I look at how I, my, my own personal list of best albums, none of my best albums are are ranking my, my highest, my only album, I think in my. or no, sorry, let me rephrase that. Like Dark Side of the Moon is my third favorite album of all time, but that's in the mm. 40s, which is ridiculous. But Michael, Mike, will... <laughs> Mike, no Mike, Mike, I'm leaving that to you. You got that one. Um, you know, so you don't have to like Highway 61 Revisit or bringing it all back home. I mean, take it seriously. Try to understand what it's, what, it's, what it's why people like it. And if you're further interested, when you get done with the episode, you know, listen to it. But listen to, I would say, listen to things that influenced it, or went around it, or came after. And yeah. maybe that's a better entry point. Or maybe it's just you go a different direction. I mean, I did my due diligence and listened to a bunch of Rush, and I like some Rush songs, but I will never call myself a Rush fan. Sorry. Sure. Um, it's okay. And so, don't beat yourself up too much. Um, my, when I was like scolding you for your reactions, it was more like some of the silly, re- some of the silly reasons, like, no, it's legit considered, a ver- they're both legit considered great albums. But if you're not a big folk fan, especially with an interest in kind of like the early, uh, the nascent folk rock. And what I would describe as like the barroom raucousness of the two albums and which leads to the recording style that you may or may not like that's fine because if yeah. you did if you did a poll of two a hundred of ben and mike's friends you'd get a different top 500 that's list. true
1: yeah oh, be full of like christian scott
2: <laughs> <laughs> i think that's just uh, the
1: two uh, of us not uh, our friends <laughs> 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 um you know thomas you bring up a really good point there and that's been one of the challenges and really on uh, my comments you know and and as we listen to highway 61, I know we keep coming back to that. We're, we're, we're actually talking about, um, bring it all back home today, but, but uh, that was one
2: we (laughs) revisited.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I really gave it the old college try and the challenge was I had a hard time connecting with it. And part of that is because I don't have an experience with, like you said, Woody Guthrie, uh, you know, and other acts from folk acts from the '50s. I have no experience there, so I'm not going to feel all of, and and hear all of the influence that's in Bob Dylan's early stuff. So it's uh, it was harder for me to connect, and harder for me to to find the relevance, yeah. um, and ultimately harder to enjoy it. And that was, I will admit, it was a little frustrating because if so many people enjoy this, that it's number four on the list then there's got to be some really, really great things about it, and I was just struggling to find them in my listening experience, Yeah, Yeah. and I'm looking forward at some point, you know, that's another disadvantage we've had, we're, you know, we're doing this thing every week, and we're recording, and we're listening, which is awesome, but I haven't had the time to go back and listen to the other Dylan albums that came out in this time period, listen to the things that uh influenced him i would like to do that at some point and as much as we have joked you know many times that we didn't enjoy it or couldn't connect with it um i hope that i do connect with it at some point in time and can really understand yeah. it better
2: i rather argue about music with people who have made a good faith effort even if we disagree <laughs> then like yeah. sure have, yep. a, have a vapid conversation about Hey, you like that Dylan album? Yeah. Well, not to continue
0: down that rabbit trail (laughs) too far, but like, I think what I feel in myself is the people who stand in art museums uh, angry that there's like (laughs) a red, yellow picture on the wall that any kid could have done, right? Like, I I think when I find myself not connecting with a particular album, I feel like I'm somehow that that art critic who's like, my kid could do this, you know? And I don't feel like, like there's something right. about music that makes me need to connect with it before I can affirm it as good. And and I think just like yeah. the flawedness of that in the art world, there's something flawed about that in myself too, where like, I don't know. I don't know why I have the capacity <laughs> to walk through an art museum and even if I don't resonate with something, think like, oh, I, I can see why that's good. For some reason, it's harder for me in in music conversations to to offer it the same grace, <laughs> uh, and I don't know why.
2: But I think you're being too hard on yourself because. And I love I love modern art, but there are certain things in my I actually prefer modern art to some like other styles. But some of it's like I don't get this. I'm moving on. Yep. And. Yeah. That's true too. I I think you're putting too much. I think, I think you're not describing, I doubt maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you truly can look at like, you know, some real abstract stuff and go like, I can, I can affirm the value here, but it sounds more like intellectual ascent than actually connecting with it. Um, so great. But like with music, it is emotional and it is, it's, yeah. it, 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 it's how music engages with you and there is a difference between it with art there's a difference between saying that it has technical proficiency versus it really moves me or hits me and i feel like music i don't know because every time i've made this argument someone's found a, a counter but I, for me music <laughs> feels like so subjective and yeah. I mean, right down to, you have whole movements of music that are like DIY and like, I mean, REM famously didn't really know how to play. A couple of them didn't really know how to play well their first album. They just kind of picked it up over time. Yeah. So like music has this like low barrier to entry and just play and, and see what happens. Um, and so I, I would t- I would never tell somebody, oh, you really should try harder on X artists, even if it is Dylan or R- well, R.E.M. would be my favorite. But like, it's there's so much music in the world. Go where your heart is. Go where your ears are. If you're ever doing a podcast about the top 500 albums list, be a little more, you know, engaged than just saying, oh, it's because of the title of the song in the magazine. <laughs> Come on now. But you don't. But you don't <laughs> Well, you've only said it five times. I've counted. No, no, but, like, t- no. <laughs> but like, give yourself a break. You're allowed to not like this. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. like everything that you like, Ben. I don't, right. I'm not a huge Coldplay fan and I don't really like, I'm, I'm not nearly as obsessed with uh, Celine Dion as you seem to be. Hey <laughs> <Me laughs> now.
1: No. Uh, and I don't know why not. <laughs> Uh, yeah that that was
2: the other time the time the time there was an episode where you were like why is this lady on here she sold a lot of albums and i remember that moment i'm driving back from lunch to work trying not to drive off the (laughs) road going it's about quality not about (laughs) sale oh
0: Well, that's an argument for another time. Should we get to the Dylan album you are tackling here? Maybe. I'm so (laughs) sorry. No, it's been good so far.
2: This is going to be the first episode that's that's more. um, This is going to be more um, your midweek show (laughs) than your actual episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's not a bad idea. I mean, we release a two-hour midweek show and a 20 twenty-minute album reflection <laughs> tells, at the end. Details,
2: <laughs> details.
1: Yeah, um, and I, I want to say one more thing before we move on to the cover. I uh, Ben, you said you were a little hesitant. Uh, you thought you know this would be so similar to Highway right. 61. I was hopeful because as we listened to Blonde on Blonde and Blood on the Tracks, I I really enjoyed yeah. those albums. So I thought, okay, well, I'm in terms of my enjoyment, I'm two for three. So those are good odds for liking this fourth one. Um, And uh, yeah, so I was hopeful for it. Uh, You know, no, no, in terms of personal enjoyment. um, One thing we've talked about is uh, uh, some covers stick in our minds better because there's something recognizable. Uh, Sometimes it's a a place that you could go to like Abbey Road um, or maybe something else. And this one kind of has that because there's, lots of little images that you could kind of relate to. Um, so do you want to give us a few details on this cover, Thomas?
2: Yeah. And this is stuff I, I mostly learned today. Cause I, (laughs) this is not one of his most, it's weird because it's an amazing, it's a really good photo, but it just doesn't. I, I would say it's one of the most disconnected, uh, album covers versus content. In that it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like the cover for what he's trying to do there really fits yeah. the album. Other than again, my earlier comment of it being a transitional and kind of a uh, a pastiche sure. or a collage. And so sure. when I found out that on the cover, well, it's a picture of him and this, um, if I may say, we're all married men, but a very attractive woman in a very nice red dress smoking a cigarette turns out she's the wife of his manager, which is okay. That's a little, um, this <laughs> Robinson going on there, but okay. But she's kind of in the background up against they're in, uh, you know, this like fancy looking house and she's up against the, uh, fireplace and he's in the foreground and he's got surrounded. He's holding a cat, which I always forget because again, I don't <laughs> look at the album that closely. He's holding a cat. Yeah. And it's just a bunch of, uh, like, like, records and books yeah. and chachis around and it, it's just and, and one one person said that it's things like robert johnson the impressions uh lord buckley eric von schmidt and it's dylan trying to give a clue about his influences which maybe <laughs> <I don't, laughs> with dylan who can tell he is dylan is yeah. the most unreliable self-narrator ever so it right. could be what he was thinking at the time i, I don't that. know right and, and so I get you know the whole bringing it back home. Well, okay, it's a house. And then here's all the stuff I'm interested in. Um, I don't know. It's just not, it's, it's, it's a real thing. Cause like it, on its own, it's a great album cover, but it doesn't speak to me as like, it's not remember, rememberable. It's not memorable as right. the cover of this specific album.
1: I agree with you. And yet there's all these like little Easter eggs in it, you know, yeah. like all these oh, little things. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting.
2: In some ways, it, because the album is not—it's a good. Al- I love the album. We'll talk about that. But like, it's not as Easter eggy an album as the next hmm. few. So it's like again, right. really interesting. Like, like it's it's all, in some ways the cover art is moving forward faster than the music did.
0: It's also it's also like the the composition of um, taking a really detailed photo. But then cropping it so that it's cropping it so cropping it's not it. the full album size, and then putting sort of the halo around it too, means that like you only actually get to focus on a small part of the actual original image. Um, I'd I'd love to know why the picture is framed by all the white. Um, I think this would have made a really cool like full size album cover, and the white kind of makes it. I don't know. It, it's a strange. Artistic decision, I guess, um, especially because so many of his other albums are uh, full image shots of of um, taking up the entire album cover image. Uh, the bo- The border is a strange thing for me on this one.
1: To me, it's very busy. It's a little cluttered. Yeah. Um, it's it's so especially with with the woman and her pose and her dress. It's so American sixties, like mm. just kind of dripping with that kind of era to me anyways,
0: or or what I envision that kind of to look like. Does it make either of you think about looking through the bottom of a pint glass? I think the halo around it almost makes me think like someone's finishing their beer.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, I can totally see that. I can totally see that now. (laughs) Um, Except that it's the reverse effect, because if you were looking through the bottom of a pint glass, even if it was empty, they would be blurring right. in the around. So it's the opposite. <laughs> if they're actually looking through a pint glass of sobriety.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. <you> know.
2: <laughs> By the way, and this, this totally ruins my whole upset that you claimed that the, uh, the highway 61 was ranked high because of the title of the song. Uh, I just found out Googling supposedly the cat, the cat in the picture, the cat's name is supposedly Rolling Stone.
0: Whoa! Oh, wow. Conspiracy <laughs> theories well,
3: yeah,
2: yeah. I take it all. <laughs> no, nope, this, this album, it's not, it's not sound logic. It's, it's a ringer. They just put it on because of the cat. Because <laughs> the cat's there.
1: That would be the fourth direct reference to Rolling Stone in the music uh, that we've discussed so far on the list then.
2: Was <laughs> that uh, the Rolling Stones and uh, Robert Johnson?
1: And um, Joni Mitchell uh oh in, in yeah, i haven't heard that yet in the song california she she yeah. referenced people she references people uh reading rolling stone uh yeah, yeah is so. there a robert
0: johnson <laughs> reference too so that's five that's five no, then. Uh, six with n- this album
2: no uh, i i i no i it may not be i just I, I forget who all did who all did the old song rolling stone oh, or, right yeah. the blue song
1: also do you think it's a do you think it's a tiny man standing inside a beer glass <laughs> taking a picture looking out the open end? Uh,
2: I I have never I have never done drugs, so I don't know. <laughs> uh, I read about all this music from the 60s and into the 70s but like so much music influenced by drugs and it's like on the one hand I'm like wow such great music and on the other hand it's like man i don't know do i need to have done drugs to fully get this stuff
1: <laughs> no just to create it just to create. It. <laughs>
3: apparently right yeah
2: yeah uh
1: and one thing i and i think thank you for uh, which one of you pointed out that side one is the electric side and side two is the acoustic side again you know this transitional album uh after the Newport concert kind of movie. I, I really like that. Um, and It
2: was actually before the Newport concert.
1: Oh, this was before? Uh, but Newport
2: was in the, the summer of 65.
1: Okay, and this was also before he was at Woodstock with Willie Nelson. Oh,
2: God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Dylan wasn't at Woodstock and I've never heard of a Willie Nelson electric controversy. <laughs> but i was like you know i was like well you know mike's been researching so he must know something i don't know
1: i think i'm actually gonna post something <laughs> saying uh hey remember no credentials <laughs> like <laughs> this is very obvious now <laughs> Jesus, because that was on the zeppelin one and i'm listening to it going oh shoot i'm like <laughs> just speaking totally out of my butt now i need to stop doing that okay uh so side one uh the electric side Subterranean homesick blues.
3: about the the man...
1: She belongs to me.
3: She's got everything she needs. She's an artist.
1: She don't look back. Maggie's farm. I ain't to work on Maggie's farm no more. Love minus zero, no limit.
3: Speaks like silence, without ideals of violence.
1: Outlaw Blues.
3: And land in some funny lagoon.
1: On the Road Again.
3: Well, I wake up in the morning, there's frogs inside my socks. Your mama, she's hiding inside the ice box.
1: And Bob Dylan's 115th Dream. and then into side two so it's the acoustic side uh where the songs are much longer because there's only four of them mr tambourine man
3: hey mr tambourine man play a song for me i'm not sleepy and there is no place i'm going to
1: gates of eden
3: truth just twists its curfew gall it glides
1: it's alright ma I'm only bleeding
3: darkness at the break of noon shadows even the silver spoon the handmade blade the child's balloon eclipses both the sun and moon and
1: the album closes out with it's all over now baby blue
3: and it's all over now baby blue
0: 11 tracks so we're sticking with that 9 to 11 on uh, these stamped LPs. <laughs> That's sweet.
1: Yeah, time. and and you know 7 7 on side 1 but if you look at yeah. the time uh, they're they're about the same. I think they they're both kind of around 21 22 minutes. Uh something like that. So it's very interesting but it's it's yeah, it's
0: static.
2: And I never really thought about it as like electric side and acoustic side and until I was re- researching it partly cuz
0: it's not apparent on a CD.
2: Well, but also like a couple of the songs um, on the first side are electric, but not very. Yeah. Like you know, Love minus Zero, and and then um, Mr. Tambourine Man, of course, is pretty much acoustic, but there's a little electric, so it just it just doesn't feel like it's such a stark difference. Yeah. But at the moment, and then also because of the medium, it was it was a very intentional thing, and it's like you lose that context years sure. later so it's pretty cool um
1: i really speaking of the electric i really like the uh the kind of slide guitar I'm not sure exactly what kind of guitar but the guitar on Maggie's farm and bob Dylan's uh, 115th uh just kind of just kind of sitting behind the whole thing the whole time it's uh it's you know a, it's a really neat touch and again a, a newer type of thing i would assume uh, I shouldn't assume that because apparently I really don't know that much about music history uh, <laughs> based on all the things I say we'll that are never true. <laughs> but yeah, I, re- I really love that sound. And it just, it again, it just kind of settles right behind it. It's just at a slightly lower level than the vocals. Um, and it's really nice. It's a nice touch.
0: I want to start by saying, I think um, I'm feeling compelled to, to do a Dylan deep dive myself because I think... Um, My struggle with the four albums that we have tackled so far is that I like the poetic nature of his songs, but for someone who is known as being a political figure, uh, this era, um, his lyrical content is not super clear. (laughs) It's, um, you know, it's that beat poetry style, which uh, doesn't always directly point to the social issue that he's trying to tackle, and sometimes maybe it's not trying to tackle a social issue. Um, and so it's it's more um, I don't know what's a good describing word for this. It's more like an impressionistic painting, if we want to keep with the art metaphors here. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, mm-hmm. he's he's painting pictures with his lyrics, um, but I I I guess I had assumed Dylan, as I started getting into his music, was going to be all about the sort of political angst and unrest of the sixties. And that is not what we find here on this album or the, the ones that follow that we've already tackled. Um, I really appreciate them, uh, for their lyrical content. It's just not what I was anticipating. And I think it makes me want to go to his first four albums where my understanding is at least that, that he was more pointedly political, um, in the sort of Mm -hmm. folk music style of that era. Um, uh, and a little bit less uh, impressionistic. <laughs> uh, so I'll start by saying that.
2: I read one analysis that was saying that, like, you know, if he had just stopped after the political stuff, he would have been, like, you know, well-regarded and and, and, and seen as, like, a better version of Donovan, you know what I mean? Like, or mm-hmm. the other kind of folkies. And I think um, his ability to kind of get into this new, totally new style of more stream of thoughts but also a lot of random references i think did elevate him and give him staying power yeah. and, and what i would say is if you want to revisit and i come with this part of it i think a, a difference is i've learned your guys' taste um it sounds like you guys have more of a somewhat formal music background i have no music <laughs> training and so hmm. i didn't know that um um uh, Queen, uh, approximately Queen Jane on Highway 61 had an out-of-tune guitar. Apparently, it's actually a fa- pretty famous that it was like, oh, well, it's in there, and <laughs> we don't really know why he kept it in, but I think he just liked the, the take and yeah. decided to keep it. But um, the, the things that, don't, that you guys maybe get more hung up on, I don't because I don't really listen to music yeah. that way. Mm. And also, I think with Dylan, the trick is his voice, for all who we mock it, I mean, not all, but he gets a lot of ribbing for having a very unique voice and and definitely can be an acquired taste. He uses it as a different kind of instrument. And even, even uses
0: it as a different instrument from track to track. I think that's what I'm struck most with, with this album. I I love um, the softer, more melodic flow of his voice on love minus zero. Maggie's farm drives me absolutely bananas because of the sort of monotone drunken <laughs> uh, sound of it uh, as he goes through. Like I can barely finish the song and it's only 3.55 long. Wow. Um, and, and so wow. I, I feel like that is preventing me from getting to the heart of Dylan because I've got this like block of blockage of his voice that, that uh, is, is <laughs> I don't know, it's standing in front of the what I know to be a rich um depth of the 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 artistry here um because i can't quite get over that one hang-up that i have at certain times sometimes i don't mind his voice at all because i think he uses it in different ways but um
2: are there other uh challenging voices that you've grown to like that maybe you didn't originally
0: there's others that I don't like <laughs> and continue not to like. I can imagine. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, good question. Hmm. What? Huh. Nothing's yeah. coming to my head right away. I, I mean, are you asking that as if, like, to say, like, you know, maybe he's just not for you, I mean, and, and don't try it. Don't try and force it to well, happen. I, I, or I, are you saying that to like maybe there's a possibility that someday I'll love?
2: <laughs> no, I'm. I'm uh, I, well, honestly, I wasn't co- asking with a conclusion in mind. I was just interested. Yeah. Um, I do think it's very possible that like the, his voice, and, and in some cases, may may not be for you, and that's fine. You know. Um, yeah. But I, I, because I think about my experience with music and. Um, I grew up loving, like, you know, Guns N' Roses. So Axel Rose has a, a very powerful voice, but it's very interesting. Yeah. And then when I really yeah. got into interesting music, it was bands like Primus and I liked Tom Waits at a ridiculous age and um, stuff like that. So, like, Dylan has never been, to me, like, oh, he's got a weird voice. It's like, I mean, I listen to, like, you know, mm-hmm. Megadeth and Dave Mustaine would occasionally sound like, you know, Cookie Monster, not Cookie Monster, uh, Oscar the Grouch,
3: <laughs>
2: you know, so I I, I yeah. never had, I and I just, I never, I mean, even this is a Twitter conversation I had about musical styles and um, our mutual uh, online and in your case, in-person friend Melissa uh, was talking <laughs> about, yeah, she was talking about her experience going to a church that did praise and worship music without a hymnal. And how do you do that? And I've done Mennonite hymn singing and I've done off-the-wall evangelical singing, but I grew up Catholic and the Catholic faith has a rich tradition of theology, spirituality, community. The singing is not technically good. It's just, it's not not there for... And and so... uh, I I never grew up with, like, a conventional sense of what Mm. good singing sounded like. Yeah. And I was always a word person. I try to write poetry and other creative writing. And so for me, Dylan is about the sound of the words and then the really interesting, especially in this, this period, the Easter eggs, like we were talking about, of, like, what is he referencing here? Yeah. Especially with later albums. And I think Dylan is someone you approach... In two ways, you approach it as literature, um, like Kerouac, that may or may not be for you, but it's not something that's going to open up immediately and go, hey, this is me, like a quick read. Yep. Um, And then then on the other hand is really, I think it is interesting to, if you can get past the voice to track his evolution musically to go from uh, Woody Guthrie 2.0 into nascent folk rock into... Nashville Skyline, which when you, you know, have either of you heard that album no that's gonna blow your mind in just how <laughs> left turn it is huh. It's a straight up country album with a totally different production value to his voice that's almost glossier and richer, yeah well,
0: and, I think, and then you have like
2: his, his his current period where he's like growling but growling with a very interesting stuff to say,
0: yeah, I mean, I think uh our our guest um chris clements when we did was he on for for the most two recent dylan albums yeah he on referenced, uh, on the tracks. Yeah, yeah he referenced yeah. A, a cover of um mm-hmm. dylan's boots of spanish leather um done by mandolin orange uh, kind of folky bluegrass duo and i i I went and listened to that because he had referenced it and just absolutely fell in love. And I was like, okay, so so Dylan has built something here in both the lyrics and song structure that I don't necessarily jive with, but, uh, but a, a, it done in another way, um, still keeping a lot of the things that Dylan brought to it, but um, with a slightly different uh, vocal uh, component I, it, you know it becomes one of my favorite things and so I think that's where I run into this thought in my mind where I'm like I, I understand that he was gifted and talented and a genius like what is it that I'm still not able to is it just his voice that is that is preventing me from really celebrating him or um yeah or is it just going to take me some time to like to get to that point um there was a uh a, comment in one of the articles that we were early on referencing maybe it was on the Highway 61 episode uh, where someone said like all my favorite Dylan songs are other people doing covers of him Um,
2: (laughs) I feel that way about I feel that way about Neil Young yeah
0: yeah. so maybe there is just that hang up that some of us have with like their aspects of the production or his voice or the instrumentation that um, you know it it just feels like someone's demo tapes that, you know, later on are done better. <laughs> um,
2: and, that's, and that's, honestly, that's one of the things I love about these two albums, um, especially how it is, is that raucous feel. And, and I think I couldn't explain it as well until I started really studying what came before and what was happening alongside. Yeah. Uh, you have, again, this tradition... I mean, we forget. I mean, we give a hard time to, like, pop singers today because they don't write their own stuff. But, like, that was a very brief period where recorded artists were producing their own stuff predominantly. And so you have, um, you got the, like, you know, easy listening remnants still being played. You've got the the songwriting factories, like the Braille building and... There was a, oh, it was, I don't know which song it is. It's, it's from an early, it's either from an earlier album or from a live bootleg. I think it was an earlier album where Dylan says like, um, this, uh, this song wasn't written in the, in the Braille building. This song was written, uh, farther South here in the United States. (laughs) (laughs) Like, but like you have these like polished veneer kind of songs and then you have, how, uh, rock developed with, on the one hand, um, African American musicians having to set up their own, you know, the, as, as your guests pointed out the Chitlin yeah. circuit, um, yep. which was rock and soul and all that. And it was like this alternate thing. And then you had, as I understand it, part of the reason the propagation of British acts was. You had, um, a lot of interest in rock and roll, but the American bands weren't going to fly out to Germany. So the British bands were like, well, we'll do it. And so you had the mm-hmm. Beatles playing a ton in Hamburg and mm-hmm. getting really good. Um, when I listen to the, these couple albums and I want to focus on this one, I say it's a transitional album. That's not discredited. It. It's just, it's why I don't like it as yeah. much as the three I like more, mm. um, it does bring some of the best work of the folky side. It's, it's not as straightforward as, I mean, masters of war and the times they are changing are like the most like on, and a hard Rain's going to fall. Those three songs probably like peak Dylan yeah. political, just boom, just smack you in the face and, just, and smack you in the face in a way that's still somewhat mysterious and poetic and different than just the straightforward screed. And that was his, gift you still have that here with um, it's all right mom only bleeding Uh, gates of Eden is a song I hate going back to Um, but then you and then you've got like you know Dylan's 115th dream which I love that song Um, you have his like silly side and storytelling side but then you've got this, this rock early rock feel which part of it is because we're listening to this 50 plus years later doesn't sound new but, but, and so it's not like, oh, well, pretend it's new to you. But you realize there's something, um, I said barroom. There's something barroomy. There's something very loose and, and, um, I don't want to say real because that is such a cliche, but there's something that's very, you can't recreate. Yeah. And so it's like a photograph of a very specific moment in musical history where this very pure version of, this confluence of uh, folk and country and rock and blues all hit each other in a couple of nights in the recording studio. Well, There's been more more polished stuff later, but like this just kind of nails it in a moment that can't be repeated. The choice to uh, keep
0: the outtake at the beginning of uh, Bob Dylan's <laughs> 115th dream just helps solidify what you just said, that like this is a yeah. moment in time. Um, even even i think some sense that he's not taking himself too seriously no there's this loyal fandom out there who's like trying to peel back every layer of meaning in every song and he's there sort of like chuckling to himself as he begins to sing Um, i love that that is there that that's been included yeah me too i really like that yeah
2: and what basically happened, I was reading is literally he just like started playing it. The band didn't come in on cue, and he had kept going, and then realized it after he started singing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And it, <laughs> he's just so focused. That is funny. Yeah, I. Um, so Ben, I think you've already kind of tipped your hand on um, Maggie's Farm, and uh, God, please don't, please don't speak poorly of Subterranean Homesick Blues, Ben. <laughs> ben don't do this to me, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
0: I'll let I'll let you just have uh, uh, that one for you if you if you want to take it.
2: <laughs> no, my my in Mike's take because I I you know. Um, um,
0: yeah, I I
1: love the rhythm of his vocal on that one. I it's it's very it's poetic. It's it's jeez. Uh, can I call it Shakespearean? Um, yeah, uh, I, I I really like it, and and I love it again as not just the the notes, okay, not the notes of his voice, not the melody, but the rhythm of the voice. Yeah, yeah, uh, that I think is really special. And people uh, talk so highly of Dylan as a poet, and I think when people say that, a lot of times they mean just the words, like. Really, when they say poet, but they mean lyricist. Mm-hmm.
2: Right. But, but poetry, no, yeah. poetry
1: is about is about rhythm and timbre and, and delivery. timing and all that. Exactly. And that, I think, is such a great opening track to the album. Yeah. And not only is it super fun and is one that's been covered and parodied so many times, um, I think because it's very accessible. So that's one I really like. Ben, I do like Maggie's Farm and I find yeah. it similar. To subterranean homesick blues because of that sort of rhythmic feel um and uh and also the the playfulness of 115th dream um i really like uh uh the the second side the songs are a little darker and i kind of like that i kind of like yeah. that it, it, it's they're almost almost foreboding um uh, and and that's a really nice feel. He he's a little more melodic in his voice, which is again, it's, it's not saying oh finally he's singing, you know, a melody. No, I, but it's nice that diversity. That's something I like about um, a lot of Bob Dylan's music is that there is some diversity there. He's it, and on this album he mixes it up. Yeah, um, some are very rhythmic and again more monotone, and some are more melodic. And I hey. I've always said, you know, one of the important things in anything you do is balance. You know, when you can have balance, diversity, and different things, it makes it more interesting and uh, makes it, I think, stand out and last longer. So, uh, those are the ones that stick out to me. Mister Tambourine Man was was a familiar one, Um, Mm -hmm. uh, so that was that was easy to get into. Um,
2: In in some ways, it feels and it's weird. It, It was record. It was originally recorded. For the previous album, and he just didn't like how they did it and moved on, saved okay. it for later. And then the birds actually got a copy of the acetate, and that's why their version came out first. Um, and um, I love the song, but it's one of those songs that I like, like, like Mr. Tambourine Man and um, maybe Blowing in the Wind are the like quintessential Dylan songs that I have the hardest time. Really loving as songs because I've heard them so much, right? Um, I don't know what it is about times they are changing that that's kind of uh avoided that. And then, like a Rolling Stone and uh, rainy Day woman, like all those other ones, the music is so interesting. But, like, Mr. Tambourine Man, it's a wonderful song, I just don't, it's not that I don't connect with it, it's like it's like a museum piece. <laughs> And it really doesn't fit. It doesn't feel like it fits on the album yeah. exactly because it, it it's it's lyrically just feels more in his previous work, um, but it doesn't take away from the album either. And honestly, going from one fifteenth dream to that, the gates of Eden worked. So
0: yeah, I'm trying to think about. We've talked a little bit about the way that a uh, uh, you know in an era of two sides of an album there was sort of a skill to like your closeout song as the first album closes and the entry song. um, I think this works actually pretty well as a sort of CD era (laughs) or Spotify era album. Uh, I don't feel, even though they're named sort of electric and acoustic, I don't feel the separation of the two halves of this album in the way that maybe the, the original listeners did there's a, a solid continuity throughout the whole thing. And I don't even feel much of a transition from side. Although I like what you said, Mike, about the, um, maybe more melancholy tone of the final four tracks. They're a little bit longer too.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we've talked to a bunch of them, Thomas. I mean, I, I, I have a feeling you have notes on every one, <laughs> but <laughs> you, <laughs> but do you, you know what, what, what would of the tracks, what would you, you know, what would you say about the, and do you want to talk about your favorites? You've kind of already done that. Uh, what are some of kind of your points that you really want to talk about, about the tracks? Indiv- yeah. individually. I,
2: well, I mean, Subterranean has been one of my favorite Dylan songs for a long time, and you guys kind of hit on what was great about I also love Maggie's Farm, and I I assume Ben has never had a bad job or a bad week at work because it's (laughs) such a great song to just put on when you're pissed off about work.
0: I mean, I can't even, uh, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I can't even get to the lyrics of that song um because of my frustration with his voice
2: <laughs> I, I just like the, the dylan kiss off songs and frustrated dylan it's like a precursor to punk and it's just yeah it just really i like punk and i like a lot of like angry music but i want my angry want my angry music to have some smarts to it uh-huh. um
1: yeah and before you continue i'm glad i want to say something uh just sort of cut you off but uh punk um, it's all right mom only bleeding i really hear velvet underground there nice i really hear an in an influence and that's like the first time <laughs> because that was another album i really struggled with to connect with but i'm hearing this going i'm hearing lou reed and i'm hearing the rhythm of that uh, velvet underground and nico album so that's you know and and i think we can safely say that they were influenced by dylan uh, very much so. So that was, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought punk because a lot of this is very punk. Sorry, Thomas, I cut in there, but I like that. No, that's like fine.
2: But, but but I would Suicide please ask you not Kong to talk Kong Kong Kong. about Velvet Underground because Skulled that's Mount an even worse uh, Horn, uh, disconnect Luke's we <laughs> have.
0: <laughs> <because> oh, no. <laughs> I have, hey, I was, I was saying something have
2: I have Highway 61 as my like ninth album of the ones you've gone through so far. And Velvet Underground is my uh, fifth. So wow. Yeah, I think we agree on the top one, and maybe the top. Yeah, I think we agree on the top one. I think we all agree on the top one. I assume.
0: Uh, I don't think so. When what uh, <laughs> that? When uh, <laughs> Jason Crane was on, we were sort of half joking that because uh, he also has taken some issue with some of our comments that we should have a, a sort of post episode. Uh, Jason comes on and tells Mike and Ben what they got wrong about the review, and maybe we oh, I would love
2: that even for even for me, I would love that. I would love. A, he was excellent. We need a feature, and,
0: uh, feature with Thomas too doing the same thing.
2: Yeah. Well, no, I would love Jason to. I would love to get told by Jason. He was like, I'm, even if you're, even if he's wrong, he's right.
3: That's funny. But um.
2: I mean Dylan's 115 dream is the one that really kind of jumped out cause I hadn't, I pr- probably heard it, but it's, this really just weird. I mean, it's obviously a weird, hilarious song. I love the line where he's like, you know, um, you know, they, uh, they denied Jesus to you're not him.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like that,
2: they're like, you're not him or something like that. And then, um, and I love the ending where he's like, um, you know, uh, where he sees like the three ships and um so what you name? He columbus i said good luck <laughs>
1: yeah oh yeah it's 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 it, it's it's really a lot of fun like
2: well, it's, it's just going through that song and subterranean and um and um gates of eden and it's a right ma like there's so much richness there even to the bs even to like just stream of consciousness about Is there meaning here? And if not, why do you put those words together? And honestly, this is what I would say to anybody, it's like with modern art, what does it mean to you? Because Mm -hmm. I, I think I shared the quote, um... Dylan had a quote. It's like, oh yeah, people ask me what my songs are about. I know what my songs are about. Some are about four minutes, some five, some ten. At at some point it almost doesn't matter what he meant. It's what does it mean for you? And I think there's a lot of value there. And I see a lot of, I mean, Beck was obviously clearly influenced by this era of, of Dylan. And I grew up in loser era Beck. And like again, there's like that free flow of these are really interesting images. And I don't know that it matters what he meant. It's what do yeah. I take? Yeah. And so those are songs that I kept I like coming that. back to. And then I just think it's all over now. Baby blue is, and I say this later when we talk about covers, it's, I think the song on here, that's the the best song. If you took Dylan out of it and put someone out, like, I think it's the, the most perfectly constructed song that some, that, His vocals add to it, but not in a fundamental way. Um, And I just think it's very transportable, whereas I've heard a good cover of Subterranean Homesick Blues, but it's not quite the same. You know, a lot of these other songs, it's just not quite the same with other people's voices. That song is just, it's just like, he has several of these. He's got um, Positively 4th Street, which is a little bit later. He's got... um, um, Don't Think Twice It's Alright, which is from the previous album. Right. Like these kiss-off, slow, burning song. I mean, just like Tom Thumb's Blues, which is my favorite Dylan song. These slow songs that kind of meander into a just real mood of either anger or disappointment or desolation that he just had this unique gift for. And you're not going to catch that the first mm-hmm. listen or five. It just... He's, there's something compelling about a lot of his songs you just go back to like an interesting poem or interesting book and like what is it about that song? And that's that's one for me that's just been such a grower over the years.
1: So we get to the part that you know often get, gets challenging to talk about uh, and this is one I think we're going to have some differences here. So let's <laughs> talk about let's and and this I think I think where God go live there? We uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, is it, we talk about two things, and sometimes we blend these two questions. Is it does it sound dated, and is it relevant? And I think this is one where they might kind of blend in there. But let's Ben, why don't we start? Why don't we start with you, um, and we'll move through. Uh, how do you feel about the relevancy of this album?
0: I I have a really hard time with the relevancy of Bob Dylan because I think he's so... I think it, he's an acquired taste. Maybe that's not even the right way to say it. I think you, he's polarizing. I think people either absolutely love him or or can't stand him. And, um, and so relevancy, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, that, that yeah. divisive nature of Bob Dylan when it comes to relevancy I think his lyrical content is, is totally relevant in the sort of poetic style um, the innovative nature of who he was that's all still relevant and stuff we should be drawn back to but I'm not a fan so I, I don't feel like this music is relevant for me in my, in my life right now um, but that's where I am what about the two of you mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, wa- I want to chime in here because I feel similarly, um, I think the music and lyrics are more relevant than maybe the vocal performance, and even though I'd say we might not hear something like that today, there's still, the, the way he delivers it is still, it's so iconic that it's just the way Dylan does it, and you, you can't really do it that way without people going, well, you're doing Dylan. Um, so he has like he has the market on that style of uh, of delivering a lyric. So as much as it's not maybe not relevant, it's still uh, iconic and it's him. Uh, but I think the lyrics and the way that uh, the instruments are used and played, we've we've had a bit of like an indie folk revival in the last you know 10, 15. Right. You could argue maybe even more than that, but, but there's a lot of indie folk. Um, coming out of of the U.S. and and even out of I think the U.K. as well. So you know, hearing the harmonica and the acoustic guitars, slide guitars, you know, that is relevant, uh, I think. And we could even argue, uh, although maybe more loosely, um, I mean, hip hop has been huge for over thirty years, and that's all mm-hmm. about rhythm and you know, yeah. not necessarily singing. Uh, so was was he not? delivering a poetic um vocal here uh in much the same way that that hip-hop does it so if you if we go on that way um it's it's extremely relevant uh, <laughs> because that's that whole that whole genre is all about uh the rhythm of the words which is what this is about so uh yeah I, again i i do have my struggles although i really did like this album uh, and i liked a lot of music and it was very very if I can say this, it's very Dylan, but, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that like, you know, like there's a Dylan sound and I'm, I, I'm yeah. not trying oh, yeah. not trying to put a blanket over all his music. Cause he has so much and it is diverse. I'm not trying to say that, but he has a specific sound. Um, and this is, you know, right in the wheelhouse, but, um, I think I would say yes and no. Um, but Thomas, what, what are your thoughts on it?
2: Well, I, and I have a uh, difficulty with the relevancy question because I don't, I don't know how we define relevance. It's never Mm. going to be as relevant as it was when it came out. And uh, one of the things I I wrestle with, or I've come to learn about music art in general is, you know, the sixties, I I used to have these great conversations with a coworker at my last job about, um, he's a big classic rock fan. And we were talking about Van Halen and well, Van Halen, a lot of Van, (laughs) he he loves Van Halen. Oh my gosh. Um, (laughs) But we were talking about like 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 the great musicians of the '70s and early '80s and late '60s, and you know you always hear that oh they don't make music like that today, and it's well that was a very brief period where the popular stuff and again popular for whites remember this you know the popular stuff for whites and younger whites was at the cutting edge. Uh, just because of the tech, where the technology was and who was making music, and honestly, because the um, the industry wasn't caught up to it, uh, there was I read some place where and I forget if it was Dylan. I think Dylan was one of them. Yeah, you'd have these like sort of conservative or at least business minded radio stations that would never play a political song, playing early Dylan because they didn't understand <laughs> it was political.
0: That's awesome. Huh. So you
2: just didn't, huh. you just didn't have, it took a while from these regionally minded radio stations and the m- music industry to evolve into what was happening in the sixties and seventies and learn how to monetize it, learn how to manufacture and flatten it. And, and then you also had the rise of, you know, African-American people and, um, other voices to diversify, uh, sounds out there. So there was a very, brief period and this is one of the big criticisms of rolling stone in general is like they're a little too hung up on a very iconic period of time but it was iconic partly because other voices were shut out so it, we can't right. go back to the 60s dylan's never going to be like a mass success like he was um but is there still relevancy to it yeah um the same way any classic work of literature can still be relevant. Um, I, I kind of think of Dylan that way. I think of like a great book, like, um, you know, like a, like a Dickens book or something that was, you know, really popular because Dickens is a great example. Cause he was really popular at the time. Unlike like a lot of famous writers. Um, but now other than the various versions of Christmas Carol, you know, occasional movie adaptations, people aren't widely reading the actual literature, mm. but he's worth picking up and reading. And that's how I feel. I would say, Mike, as much as I appreciate your attempt at making him relevant via rap, it's pretty clear that that's more of a shared route. with. I mean, Subterranean Homesick Blues is very influenced by Chuck Berry's hmm. Too Much Monkey yeah. Business, sure. Um, and so I think it's more that's more of a case of Dylan took uh, was influenced by black music, which later influenced itself into into rap. So um, that's not really a criticism of you, but. I've heard several people make that argument and then other people say like, well, not really. There's no clear indication that African Americans, by and large, picked up Dylan. No, no.
1: And I meant no, you're right. And I meant indirectly. Like just in terms in terms of, you know, how when I think of the question as irrelevant, it's like, how does it fit in to what is popular today? Uh, that that's kind of one of the ways I try and. I
2: don't even know what is popular today. <laughs>
1: well you know and and that can again Are we the people that... <laughs> that can mean so many different things and it's yeah. so many different groups and genres and and geographic places and demographics like it, it again, it's so much subjectivity uh, but you know it is I think something that can be relatable if you played uh, subterranean homesick blues or Maggie's Farm to a hip hop fan. They might pick up on that part of it that they really like because there is relevancy to them that, man, I really like the I I like the rhythm that he's doing there. That reminds me of this other stuff I like, you know, so that that's, I think what I meant there.
2: And I think in terms of the dated, yeah, of course it sounds dated. Most things sound dated. (laughs) I mean, in terms of like production style, I think what's interesting is um, if you look at where we are right now as a culture, we're really in that. I I, I think like we're in a more strident time right now. So I think like political Dylan earlier, Dylan would be more quote unquote Mm, relevant. I don't know. So I don't know when our 65, I don't know when our, Hey, we need to just really be, there was kind of a period of this maybe, um, uh, I, I don't know actually, but, but I don't know if there's a period where like the sort of more like post strident, weirdness becomes relevant again because right now everyone's like screw this i just don't i mean i think most things sound dated and i'm not sure that's a bad right. thing it's just uh, you know when was it recorded what is it wh- what what value can you get from it and uh, i for me the recording style and the vocals aren't a turn off but they're i mean as much as i love robert johnson that was a bit of a hard listen to just go through the whole thing because of the yeah. sound quality. Yeah. yeah. yes. And if, if yeah. Robert Johnson was record, if Robert Johnson was recorded in like early sixties Dylan style, if he had been afforded that, uh, I think right. it would be amazing, but we didn't get that. We right. got the Robert Johnson. We got.
0: Yeah. Before we move on from whether it sounds dated, I, uh, <laughs> I think it is really worth pointing out again that, that this was considered by, a lot of people to be just too rock and roll. Now you can almost barely pick up that it's, that's rock and roll, right? Like, um, uh, you know, we just <laughs> that, came yeah. off of uh, Zeppelin a few albums ago where, you know, that, that album is from a few years after this, but it is, a, it is heavy rock and roll. Um, oh Yeah. Only, only just five, five years, years later, right? So to have this thing yeah. be considered like ah, it's just too too much rock going on here, too much electric guitar, uh, is sort of hilarious considering just how rapidly that genre shifted and changed in a, a short period of time. Right. Um, and in in that way, I think like thinking about that critique from its time, there is a datedness to it that uh, that is kind of quaint in in that in that aspect. So. Are we ready for a verdict here? I don't know if I'll ever be ready. <laughs> On, uh, <Yeah.
1: laughs> you know, why don't we start uh with Ben and then hopefully get to something a little more positive uh, with Thomas. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so wow. So, <laughs> so what what do you, what do you think Ben? Was this position sound logic does it make sense to have it here at 31 for you?
0: Okay, so I totally get why it's here. I understand Dylan's um brilliance he's just not for me uh at least at least this era of his career <laughs> um, i right. like this uh uh maybe slightly more than highway 61 uh mm-hmm. which <laughs> doesn't say much uh, about it um i i'm not probably ever going to desire putting this back on unless i really do a deep dive of dylan and, and just want to hear how it sounds in in relationship to the rest of his career so yeah it's probably an appropriate ranking given how this list was constructed it probably wouldn't end up on my top 500 albums of all time um so hmm. i don't know that's kind of a half answer not sound logic for me totally appropriate for the general public to have it here <laughs>
1: Well, I think that's fair. I I would say something similar. I again, I enjoyed it. I liked the album. I like listening to it. I will listen to this again. Um, oh, it was interesting. It, maybe not. Maybe not every every song was my favorite, but I liked it. Again, one one of my challenges, and we talked about this. But one of the challenges I had with Highway 61 was I heard so many technical things that I didn't like. Um, instruments, instruments out of tune, <laughs> instrumentation that I thought didn't make any sense. Um, and, and I couldn't relate to a lot of it. So this this one was different for those things for me. Um, and I expected to hear albums like this in this spot. Okay, So Bob Dylan, an iconic artist, an artist who's all over this top 500 list, um, and an album that I hadn't heard, but know is significant and influential. So this is kind of exactly where I expected to find it. So I'm I'm totally okay with it. I, I don't need to move it up for me. Um, there's already three other Dylan albums ahead of it. Um, so it's for me, it's it is sound logic. Uh, Thomas, what do you think?
2: Again, I it's basing it on what they were trying to achieve. I can see why it's where it is. And it makes it, it in, in, in the theory of um, what are the 500 greatest albums as voted on by a group of uh, Rolling Stone uh, panelists. It makes sense. It definitely yeah. is in the right order among his albums. Okay. Um, yep. Like I said, it's my fourth favorite. And I think I haven't figured out I've, I've ranked up and up. I, I followed along and I basically am ranking my own Rolling Stone list um, in my, in what I think is the right order on my taste. And so I haven't gotten to it yet. Cause I hadn't, I haven't heard the previous episode yet with uh, Joni Mitchell, but he probably fits into the, it definitely uh, fits in toward the bottom on this, on this one um, of that list. Uh, I, probably somewhere i mean somewhere in those in the uh, uh 20s but um it's good enough i think it's fine it wouldn't uh, it, this album probably wouldn't crap my my top 100 all the time but i really mm. don't know how i would rank dylan albums or Beatles albums i'm yeah. just now trying to figure that out and i was kind of eyeballing my personal top 100 list and um that is kind of a work in progress itself. And I, I could fit like seven of the Rolling Stone albums (laughs) you've gone so far would make that list. And I'm not, you know, so it's like, I I have a wide personal taste difference. Right. And and like, and like my top album so far on the list that you guys have gone through is, is Joshua tree, but that's, that's like 34th on my all time list. (laughs) I, oh, I wow. Think is better. Well, Octung, well, Pop is actually my favorite YouTube album. <laughs> so that's just a whole nother conversation. Wow. Octung Okt, Okt, is amazing and Octung is underrated. But like most of my favorite albums aren't either yeah. on this list or, or surprisingly low. So yeah, it's Sound Logic for them. It's not what I would do. Uh, it's a great album. I think some of their picks of Dylan later on are getting a little too much to like mm. rating the brand rather than the relative music not that it's bad music it's great yeah. but there's so much good stuff since dylan yeah. sure it's yeah. like it's like john wesley harding <laughs> it's a good album but come on
1: and again it's you know two it's the favorites from 200 over 200 different people um and, it, you, and, and, right?
2: and an album had and an album had to fit had to make t- five ballots and so yes. you're gonna yeah. get name right. recognition there was yep. a bit of name recognition going on here, and that's fine. I, yep. it's, a gr- it's a great album, and if you're more inclined toward folk, folk rock, and um, stuff like that, you'll rate it higher. And if you're like Ben, you won't. <laughs> the funny
0: thing is I love folk and folk rock. So, the, yeah, it, it, there's something specific about Dylan that's a hangout for me.
2: <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, anyway. man. I, 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 it's Yeah, it's Sound Logic. It's just not... Uh, I have stronger opinions about other albums and mm-hmm. like whether it's ones that are woefully underrated or <laughs> one album, I totally agree with you guys. And you guys gave me permission to admit I didn't get, which is exile on main street. Mm. <laughs> I was listening to that episode and going, okay, there's not something wrong with me.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: there's something wrong with us.
0: <laughs> Moxie Fruvis. That's, that's gotta be up there somewhere, right?
2: <laughs> well, it's just not my favorite. A, there's a couple of much better stones albums and it's just like, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, um, something that we've been doing over the last few, uh, episodes is talking about covers. Um, I wanted to start off this section by uh, reminding us all of how Radiohead took... uh, subterranean homesick blues and turned it into subterranean homesick alien and just made Mm -hmm. it, uh, (laughs) they're obviously two completely different songs, but uh, apparently there was some inspiration, uh, at least in, in, uh, in, in being drawn from, from one song to another. And, uh, so I'll get the ball rolling with that. Uh, do either of you have any, any, uh, actual covers that you want to talk about during this time?
1: well i have one i have one and i know uh, sorry i'll just jump in first because it's just one that i just remembered um uh i had heard uh, i listened to a lot of jazz uh, maybe 10 years ago and there's a guy named ben sidron who did a whole album of dylan and i remember hearing a, con- a live concert uh, where he did the album ben sidron uh it was like he he's done like close to 40 albums he's a uh, Like jazz jazz piano player, Um, and uh, I remember really liking uh, the version he did of Maggie's Farm, and he Mm. is like Dylan, where he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't really sing he kind of speaks the lyrics so it, it fits well, very uh, well like even in his own music he kind of uh, vocalizes like that so it fits very well so that was the only one that I that I could remember
0: well that speaking uh, reminded me of something I had dug up this week while I was thinking about this part of the show um, William Shatner has a version of mr. Tamarine Man. Oh. Oh. <laughs> speaking of <laughs> People oh who speak their God. words.
2: <laughs> I ain't gonna work for wow. No oh boy. <laughs> A quick parenthetical to Ben's con- earlier contribution. I ain't um, gonna work. Hopefully, this podcast is still no going when you get to number 162. Um, okay, computer. I would like to be on so I could just curse at Rolling Stone the entire episode. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, we'll put you on the list right now.
2: I I can't. I yeah. There's that, that that's just ridiculous. But whatever. Um. So I I in terms of covers, the uh, college kid in me wants to say Rage Against the Machines version of Maggie's Farm, but I don't actually Ooh. love that version. <laughs> Because it's just, it's too, he slows it down and he angers it up and it's, it just doesn't, it's fine. It's an interesting piece, but it takes away the fun of the song and the sort sure. of menace and slyness mm. to it and just makes it, you know, kind of more yelly. Um, so the two, I, I can't, what two covers of, um, um, um my brain just stopped working. <laughs> Uh, which is not a Dylan song. <laughs> um, it's all over now, baby blue. I, it's all over now, indeed. Um, <laughs> um, them, which is Van Morrison's band before he was solo, has a version of uh of that that um actually became was sampled as the the main main piece of music for the Beck song Jackass from Odelay. Um, which I'm, And there's another song on that Them album that Beck also sampled for, on Odeley. So it was like, an Odeley is one of my favorite albums of all time. So that was pretty cool to find out uh, probably a year ago. I just love, and this really shows the versatility of the song. Van Morrison's kind of, and Them is fascinating. If you listen to Them, uh, Them's first two albums, it's just really great, interesting, kind of straight up rock, but with a bit of, Morrison, Van Morrison's kind of soulfulness. Yeah. Um, But it's just a great, a beautiful cover of it. it, just takes it a slightly different direction. And then Bad Religion, the punk rock, the very smart, big word, highfalutin punk rock band, does a version of It's All Over Now, Baby Blue that, that's really excellent too. And it's, like I said, the song is just can really I, I don't think any other songs on that album can be covered in such a uh, yeah. versatile way and yeah not like yeah. not make you long for the original um, that one though just really stands up
1: I think it shows when a song has a yeah. really good legs and, and really good foundation when you can take it and move it um, and Thomas I went and listened to both of those on your recommendation. And I am also a huge fan of Beck's Odelay. It's one of my favorite albums. It's one yeah. that uh, I got in high school, and I just listened to it all the time. And I had no idea that that part was a sample. Yeah. Um, so I feel a little embarrassed about that. But I, And I'm comforted to say that you just found that out like a year ago <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because Although I had no I idea. It, well, I knew it was a sample because a lot of that album's a sample, but I didn't know. If, I right. Didn't, it never registered what it was a sample of.
0: Odolei comes in at yeah, number three oh six, so we have some time to gear up for uh I'm for that aware. episode as well.
2: Oh <laughs> there are some ridiculous ridiculously underappreciated albums on
0: this list. <laughs> well they're on the list.
2: Well
1: and again, you go go through go through the list of the people who were pulled and a lot of like a lot of them grew up in the sixties oh, yeah. and seventies. So why would why would it make sense for any of them to pick Bex Odolite? uh you know right like and i'm glad that they did pick some some people who who were more familiar and fond of the music of the 90s and beyond uh because obviously at least five people chose that album for example um but yeah uh, th- it just shows you again where yeah. this list is rooted cool cool and and i love that bad religion version yeah uh, that was that was a lot of fun yeah. uh
0: something else we've been doing uh well, we've done this almost from the beginning, but more formally over the last few episodes <laughs> is uh, uh, checking in to see where else this artist shows up on the top 500. Um, Dylan's on here ten times. I believe he was on the original list nine times, and then uh,
2: Modern Times I think was Modern in Times
0: the- was added uh, in, the, in the 2012 version. Um, so coming in at number four, we've already reviewed Highway 61 Revisited. Um, we love that album. It's at the top of our list. Go back and listen to our review. Uh, number <laughs> number nine <laughs> number nine was Blonde on Blonde. Number 16, Blood on the Tracks. Uh, and then uh, at 97, we get to the Freewheel and Bob Dylan. So we've got a bit of a break here now for... 66 albums before we get to dylan again and then uh 174 uh desire 204 modern times 303 is uh john wesley harding 410 time of time out of mind lots of dylan contents and also um
1: in 1975 uh, the basement tapes was released uh by bob dylan and the band which would have been i'm like, was it stuff that was previously recorded?
2: Yeah, it would have been recorded in, oh, I,
1: like the, the, oh, yeah, like 64, 65.
2: No, it, just after like 66, 67. It's like right at, cause the, the band was, the band was his touring band, um, the Hawks, right. at kind of after Highway 61 Revisited came out. So,
1: right. Yeah. yeah so that comes in at 292 yeah so so that's also on there
0: 11 albums
1: yeah wow so lots more opportunities it
2: is really funny and it, like his those three recent albums that are on there are excellent albums and i think time out of mind definitely belongs on and i i need to revisit the other two but it's really funny that even when they do more recent albums it's like hey it's this guy from the 60s so ben you're kind of right yeah <laughs>
1: yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um but anyways I think that if nothing else it says that this is an artist that is highly regarded that a lot of people like and at very least people who were pulled for this list who are involved in the music industry um, uh, can relate to a lot so uh, uh, I guess maybe at some point Ben and I need to uh,
0: jump on that train (laughs) at some point not now at some point (laughs) Well, hey, Thomas, we really want to say thank you. Um, we've gone, we've Absolutely. covered a lot of ground here. Some some stuff tonight that has been helpful in maybe going back and giving us a little bit more of a window into some of the things we've missed in the past reviews of Bob Dylan, and also some really solid solid stuff about the actual album we're tackling here tonight um it's it's been great to to know you from a distance maybe someday we'll get together again for a ball game um in real life but uh but uh, glad to know you from a distance and and thanks so much for adding your voice to our podcast
2: tonight yeah thanks for having me it's been a real pleasure
1: you got to come up to (laughs) skydome
2: i i i went to rogers with sorry i i call it rogers center because i don't (laughs)
1: <laughs>
2: I, no it's funny because like you know every in chicago especially it's like no it's still the sears tower yeah in, like new york it's sixth <laughs> avenue it's not the avenue of the Americas, but like no it's Skydome. you're right i went to one that's
1: game. how that's how we feel about it i went to one <laughs> game
2: with my brother when he was still living up there it was gonna see yankees and the blue jays won and he was very happy oh. <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs>
2: i think i had some i think i had some pizza pizza Ooh.
0: Yeah. Ooh. Chase it with some Mr. Sub.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Next time we'll get we'll get you up here get you into some Pizza Nova.
2: Oh, he, actually he's told me about that. Yeah.
1: It's good. It's really good. Um yeah, Thomas, great to have your insight and just to hear your yeah. enthusiasm and also your uh your knowledge, your knowledge of of music, not just Bob Dylan's but music of this era. It's it's great to uh, talk to our guests who have just a great knowledge and passion for for all this music and and uh, that's just wonderful and and we really appreciate your time here so thank you so much thanks. once again thanks
2: for having me guys keep it up thanks. great show
1: so on that note we want to thank all of you for listening and uh, we hope you'll join us next time when we move on to album number 32 which is by the rolling stones the album's called let it bleed and another band that uh, we haven't been too kind to hey eh, ben
0: yeah, I'm sure it's only on here because the the band stole their name from the magazine. Is that how it went? Anyway, we'll figure that out.
1: <laughs> I think I think Thomas's eyes just rolled back into his skull. So we should probably.
2: Uh... Um, I'm not the biggest Rolling Stones defender, but "Let It Bleed" is way better than "Exile on Mainstream." Well, I'm
0: looking forward.
1: Well, guys, thanks so much, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.